Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livius Nedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is The People's Act of Love by James Meek. And this is the uh, Patreon pick for um, longtime friend of the podcast, Jesse Lawrence, for, for 2021. This is the book he chose for us to talk about. So uh, um, we've had, you know, mixed mixed uh, reactions in the past it'll be interesting to see uh how how this fares against some of his previous picks all i know is that he was like are there any other scottish authors and he was like oh james meek i forgot all about him james meek yeah but he did uh, throw you that richard layman book so he did this yeah. is true so um the the joke for anybody that's not aware is this is the third scottish author we're uh, doing as a patreon pick from jesse right yeah because there was yeah. um yeah welsh yeah. and then um Warner, the Soprano. He wrote the Sopranos. Yep. So um, I, I didn't. I, I guess I mean I should have assumed. I would just assume that in Scotland there are a lot of people who are fans of Scottish um, authors. I, I didn't. You don't. You don't think about these things, right? That's someone you know, <laughs> someone someone you're fairly close to is a closet Scottish author fan. So, uh, but that is Jesse. Um, <laughs> to clarify, this book. Um, it's a little dated, um, which isn't a big deal because it takes place in 1919, but this was published back in December of 2006. So um, I don't know how spoilery we'll get. I mean, I guess, you know, 14 years is enough time if anybody wanted to read. I don't think we're going to really go into that territory very much, but just be warned if it slips, we're not going to be terribly concerned about it. Right. Um so as usual, we're just going to do, um, we actually both, our jobs are easy today. We have a quick author bio and a quick synopsis. So here's a little bit, a very little bit about James Meek, uh, is a British novelist and journalist, author of The People's Act of Love. He was born in London, England and grew up in Dundee, Scotland, which is probably way different than like, there's like a Dundee <laughs> down the street from us. Kind of I would imagine. imagine. Yeah, I would imagine that it's uh, vastly different from from Dundee, Illinois. Yeah, <laughs> um, I will say, um, just it's weird. Did not find a bio on Amazon for an author that's published. I, th I think it was ten, ten novels. Yeah, he's got and, a lot of books. Yeah, and this one, um, you know, I don't know if it was a, like a bestseller, but this one was was pretty widely um, read. So it, it's a little weird. That came from. Uh, Goodreads of all places, but apparently, as Rob and I were both working on notes at the same time, it is the same one that is on his Wikipedia page. So if there's an updated one, um, you know, updated on Amazon, I guess. <laughs> all right, here is the synopsis 1919 Siberia. Deep in the unforgiving landscape, a town lies under military rule, awaiting the remorseless assault of Bolsheviks along the Trans Siberian Railway. One night, a stranger, Samarin, appears from the woods with a tale of escape from an Arctic prison, insisting a cannibal is on his trail. Only Anna, a beautiful young widow, trusts his story. When a local shaman is found dead, suspicion and terror engulf the isolated community which harbors a secret of its own. This is a good synopsis. <laughs> and I say that because it's entirely accurate um, without just you know getting into the weeds about things and and create some intrigue yeah I, I have a suspicion that we'll probably get into some of the weeds because um uh, the the way the book is formatted is a little bit more complicated than that and usually we 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 tend to go in a more linear how the book reads through fashion when we're discussing and maybe we'll break a little bit from that because um yeah things get a little confusing if we talk about it that way but uh i'll agree good synopsis um uh, one of those ones where it's like it's a it's a very small part of a bigger picture though yes i agree um we kick off a little bit before the 1919 i believe it might be 1908 or 1910 at the beginning where we're introduced to um samarin uh who this is a weird book because i'm not really sure this book has a protagonist and i'm sure we'll talk right. about this a little later but we're introduced to um Kirill Ivanovich Samarin. So if that hurt your ears hearing me say, get used to it, because there's a lot of Russians and Czech people in this uh, in this book. We're introduced to him um, kind of through the lens of he's going to see his girlfriend, who he's been forbidden to see. Her name is Yakaterina Mikhailovna. I, I think I did okay on that one. Um, and, and again, this might sound spoilery, but this is literally chapter one stuff. 
um, he discovers that uh, she has joined. Now, here's where I get really hazy because my Russian history is not up to where, you know, it should be at least to discuss this. I believe that she is a communist, right? That she is supportive of the communist uprising in, in, in Russia. Is that your understanding as well? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So you'll hear a lot of that when we start talking about the politics maybe of this book. We're really a little unclear on, on how this goes. But basically, she is, uh, she is taken up with the revolutionaries. And, uh, you know, this concerns uh, Samarin a little bit, but he, he winds up in a situation where he sees her out in public um, while there's an event going on and he discovers she has a bomb and he uh, takes the bomb away from her in an effort to save her from doing something that she uh, would potentially regret from a legal standpoint. And that doesn't go so well. Um, that's it's a little bit like a like a prologue because um, you don't really find out, like, basically the next thing we read leaps ahead in time. Um, but um, I, one thing, one quick note. So, like, uh, as I was reading this, if, you're, if, you, if you think, if you listen to this conversation, you think, oh, maybe I'll, I'll read that. Maybe just do just the tiniest amount of kind of reading up on what was going on in Russia at that time, because, like, obviously this is the book takes place primarily in the late 1910s. So like, like it says 1919, um, which is kind of world war one, the great war time, but it's also like during the Russian civil war. So there was a lot of like, it, it gets confusing because not only are there like, uh, the, the World War One doesn't really factor into it, but the Russian Civil War does, and there's so many weird factions and groups and stuff that it it, mm -hmm. it it's very it's it's quite confusing. So, um, I think that's my way of saying we're gonna get a lot of information wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm not a historian of like Russian, uh, like Civil War. So, um, I, I'm glad you brought that up at the beginning. And I guess that's one of the faults I have with this book. And, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to get into my wrap up by any means, but plot is where I dinged it the hardest um, for, for an, a couple of reasons. But one is this. This was written by a, a, Scot a guy who lived in Scotland, a British guy, British born, right, lived in Scotland um, about Russian history that happened 90 years before that. And that's where I felt like perhaps there should have been a little more explanation on what was going on, because I can't imagine that now. So if this book was written in Russia, you know, this that would be like us writing about the Civil War. And most people have a pretty good idea of kind of what was going on. So you could get away with not doing a lot of explaining. I, I don't know. I mean, you and I are clearly not history buffs, but do you know anybody that would have picked this up? And you said, oh, yeah, they would have under, totally understood any everything that was going on with uh, with the Czechs being in Russia and, and then the Russia, the whites and the reds, which I think I've kind of got figured out. But I mean, I, do, I can't think of anybody that would be like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> what these that's what these Cossacks are. What the fuck is a Cossack? I think it's Cossack. But OK, um, well, there you go. Uh, that, so. Yes, but what I will say, and the thing that, so, the thing I'll I'll say about that, having gotten through the entire book, is that I felt that that mattered less and less as the plot grew. So, in, in the beginning of the book, it's a lot of this um, Russian Civil War stuff going on, and I don't really understand it. But, you know, as we, as the characters develop and the story becomes more um, uh, fleshed out for, for what's going on within the characters... Um, that doesn't matter as much. So, um, I, eh, like that would be the counter argument is like, ultimately the story becomes about something else. Um, you just have to kind of work through that stuff to get to more of the, the substance later on. So as Rob mentioned, we, um, fast forward about a dozen years or so. And, uh, we're introduced, um, to Anna Petronova. Um, she, uh, we're introduced to her as a youth. So she, um, she receives a camera for uh, a birthday or Christmas or, or something along those lines. And this is, uh, if you can imagine, this would be, uh, you know, again, in the 1910s or so, um, not something that everybody had, you know, she didn't get a new iPhone like everybody else did. Right. She got a camera and, and really took to, um, to taking photographs 
Um, so she would do portraits for people, which was very popular, but she really got into what, you know, what I would call today street photography, right? Like getting out there and, and taking pictures of, uh, of actual people during their daily lives. Um, you know, so we're introduced to her and her love of photography that way and, and how that, you know, was not always welcome, um, in the, in the community she lived in, not necessarily by members of the community, but essentially by the police slash military. Yeah, one of the inciting moments for for her, uh, like a life changing turning moment for her, um, is she is out doing this photography like Livia's described, and uh, sees what looks like a group of students, um, kind of gathered outside of a factory or or whatever it happens to be, um, and it's not a protest; it's more like someone is talking to a group, um, and it, and and it's first presented pretty innocently like it's students you know um organizing uh, you know and it turns more into like it's a we are the oppressed and you know we need to take back the power from the people kind of thing so it gets a little bit more um more activisty or or not even activisty like labor rally yeah is how i thought of it right now. right then just people um gathering to have a conversation and so uh authorities get involved things get kind of crazy um the owner of this company his car as he's driving away um gets overrun by these students and um there's some like there's some actual like i think gun gunplay and and swords are drawn because it's like the early 1900s so apparently people went around with swords long story short um Anna is put into danger, but she's saved by, um, what is his, Hussar is the type of soldier this guy is. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the soldier thing that he was. This, uh, this guy named Balashov, um, saves her, takes her home. And obviously like it's that knight in shining armor kind of thing. She falls in love with the dude. And that's where we learn that, um, she starts her life with this man who's a who's a hussar uh after being saved from uh, danger in this in this incident yeah and one other thing that's uh, kind of important to note um back to her photography for a minute she's snapping photos and you know when she gets home basically like the cops are already waiting for her um and and smash her camera it is not allowed to document um, you know, what, what, what these people are doing. So, you know, she's basically spared, um, you know, prison or, or, or whatever through, through the destruction of her camera. But yes, she does meet, uh, Balashov who they eventually get married. And, uh, and then we flip forward a, a few years to, you know, 1919 today. So I guess I said it was 1919, but this was a little bit of a flashback. Um, we are reintroduced to Samarin who in the time that we have spent away from him, you know, the chapter and a half or so, <laughs> managed to um, get himself put into a, like a forced labor camp in uh, in Siberia, which uh, it, we get a, a really nice long story about the, the, the labor camp um, a little bit later in the book. But he has managed to escape. And this is, I'll go back to uh, the synopsis for this. Uh, he does meet a man on the road. Um, and we are uh, we are informed by him that uh, he escaped the prison camp alongside someone called the Mohican, who is a, uh, you know, also an escapee from from the labor camp. Um, but then now he is running from him because the Mohican is a cannibal who plans to eat Samarin. <laughs> it's more cannibalism in this book than I expected, a lot, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's actually a chapter titled Cannibals. Um, yeah, so the, the, one of the things I noticed early on is that there's like, I'm not going to say bizarre, but so there was some unexpected stuff that happened. So there is a good portion of a chapter early on when Samarin is making his way, um, to, um, where he ends up, uh, for the story where he witnesses, there's a train going by and he witnesses someone, um, trying to keep, there's like five horses in one of the train cars and they're just freaking out. And this guy's trying to keep them under control, but they like burst out the side of the train car and this guy falls to his death. And then all these other horses are trying to escape and just tragedy, uh, you know, everywhere. And there's all these dead horses and this guy who fell to his death. And, um, 
one of the things that Xamarin does is got the dude's hand off and go bury it in the forest and then cut a piece off a horse and eat it uh, as he's walking into town. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird. And I was like, I have no idea. So early on, I was like, what, what is, what is going on with this book? But the nice thing is that, you know, eventually like it all comes into focus. But uh, in the beginning, there was some real weird incidences that happened, but um, all that is to say, let me stop. Let me stop you for a second. (laughs) I feel like we may have had this conversation before, but you know, me and my feeble memory. Um, what would it take for you to just slice a piece off a horse and eat it? Do you think you could do it if you were in a situation like this character? So to set up the situation, um, he's been basically walking through the forest for like a hundred days or something, trying to get to civilization after he escaped um, not only this prison camp, but his uh, his the person who's following him, the Mohican. So we're going to assume at this point he probably hasn't eaten in, in days at least. Do you, do you think in that situation you'd just be able to right. slice off a piece of horse? And, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Chew it down. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, in like extreme starvation, I'm pretty sure that you would do anything. Like when we read that, um, the Hunger book by Omakatsu, mm-hmm. and they were like eating the leather from their shoes and stuff. Yeah, I think yeah. that you get to a point where you're like, I'm just, I just want to, I just want something in my stomach. Yeah. There was a lot of that too. There was a lot of interesting stuff about that. About you know, yeah. like just putting a little little um, um, when he's recalling his time in the in the prison camp, um, about uh, somebody drops like a breadcrumb and just like sitting it on his tongue, right? And letting it dissolve, letting it, you know, yeah. in his mouth. Yeah, there there was a lot of interesting stuff around um, hunger and and weird eating things, or you know, however you want to say that. So yeah. Um, <laughs> So the man he meets on his way, and, and at this point I'm going to skip around a little bit to make it easier for you guys so we don't spend you know another 25 minutes talking about the opening um, chapters of this book. He actually meets Balashov, um, who uh, previously, um, you know, we mentioned was married to Anna. Um, Balashov has a kind of weird story of his own. Um, he was believed to be killed in a, in a war he went off to right after he fathered a, a child with Anna. Um, but turns out that's not the case exactly. Um, he has found kind of a different way of life. And and I don't know how far we want to go into this, so I'll, I'll leave it up to you. But um, if you thought the book couldn't get weirder after uh, someone being stalked by a cannibal and that guy actually slicing off a piece of horse and eating it, it potentially could get a little weirder. Yeah, um, that's... <laughs> Yeah, now we're getting to the point where it's like, but then again, so I'm going to lean on the fact that this book has been around for, uh, you know, a decade and a half, and the fact that I don't think it really, like, ruins the story, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to run with it, so uh, at some point in the course of being off to war, um, so one of, this thing, one of the things this book does, just to take a quick little um, uh, side story thing, is... Um, that there are chapters dedicated to the backstory of main characters early on in the book. And one of the, the chapters dedicated to Balashov is like a 45 page, like letter he wrote to his wife when he was away and presumed dead that explains his story. Um, which that's a lot of, that's a long, it was literally in the book, like 45 pages long. Um, and uh, so he explains that in, during war, he encountered a person who, uh, in or basically, and this is a real, uh, this is actually historically accurate. There were people that that did this. Um, I looked it up, or no, it was in the acknowledgments at the end of the book. The author talks about it. Um, there were people who believed that um, in order to be um, able to be enter into paradise uh, or become angels living in paradise on earth. You would cut off your your naughty bits, and <laughs> like they called it, uh, getting rid of the keys to hell. Um, which that sounds kind of cool. Like uh, if I had the keys to hell, I don't know <laughs> if I'd want to get rid of them. But um, hold on, let me grab my keys to hell. Yeah. Hold on a second. <laughs> so uh, he uh, comes to believe through like interactions with um, some other people who do that um, in that in the, in in their idea and eventually castrates himself and part of his uh letter to her is kind of where he he ended up uh settling down with his the his religious i'm going to call it a cult 
And um, so part of her story is she eventually made her way out there to be around him to find her husband. Maybe it didn't work out the way she wanted, though. I want to interject a little bit before we go back to story. Um, there are, um, well, there, there's at least, I guess there's three main characters that get um, a good backstory section. So it's a uh, Balashov through his, through um, a, a rather lengthy letter that he wrote to his wife. Um, Anna gets her backstory, which I mentioned. And then um, Samarin gets a backstory that's mostly about his time in the prison camp. Um, those are my three favorite parts of the book. Um, without those parts, I think my score would have been significantly lower, um, than it is like to me, that's, that's actually the strong point of this. So I do want to say that although we're kind of talking back and forth about history stuff, the parts that, that we just mentioned to, at least for me, were, were the strongest parts of the book. Yeah. And I think we can wander a little bit off of plot now, cause that introduces a thought that I had, I was, um, talking about this book with someone and, um, I was kind of explaining what was what I was enjoying about it. Same thing, same thing as Livius. It's these chapters, but um, the narrative is really interesting because sometimes it's a third person narrative where um, you know an omniscient voice is telling you what's going on with characters, and then sometimes it's from the perspective of characters, and it is like markedly different, like how easy it is to read the character perspective stuff than it is to read the third person stuff at least it was for me and um while i fully agree i think that those like backstories and stuff were the most like rich and interesting it really contrasted with the stuff that was more um history based and um kind of like foundational that was in the third person that just didn't didn't go as smoothly for me um i didn't think of it that way but i i, I agree I agree. I, I guess I didn't think about those not going as smoothly as much as how much I liked, you know, you right. know what I mean? But you yeah, that's, the contrast is the, yeah, <laughs> is the same thing. Um, I, I do want to go a little bit further on plot because somebody might be listening and say, well, what the hell did do any of these things have to do with the other? So let me go through this real quickly. Samarin makes it into town, right? When he gets into a town, a shaman is found dead, um, which is mentioned in the book synopsis. We get a little bit of backstory on the shaman, um, but Anna takes the liking to Samarin. Um, Samarin is now on the same town as Balashov, the castrate. Um, Anna, obviously. I'm going to mention two more characters because they come, they become very important to the actual plot. Uh, Joseph Mutz, um, who is a, uh, a Czech lieutenant, I think is probably the, the right term. Um, but he reports to a guy named Matula. Uh, Matula is a little more tyrannical in, uh, in his... Um, running of things and Mutz is a little bit more of a not get involved just kind of try to make it through this so that's where the story takes off amongst those like five characters everything else that happens kind of spurs from the fact that Samarin has made it into town and that uh, the military a lot of the military is ready to go home I didn't realize Czechoslovakia was founded in like 1918 or something like that but um they're ready to go home. They've been in Russia fighting a, a, a fight they don't really understand, um, but they're ready to move on. So really, this is uh, I saw in one thing I was looking when I was looking for uh, uh, the bio. I saw someone describe this, and I'll say it here as the story of Anna Petronova and her three lovers. And I didn't really think about it that way until I read that. And then I was kind of reflecting back on the story. And I was like, well, yeah, that's the one thing that really ties all of these people together. Yep. Uh, yeah, it is. And um, I would say that the there are some, like, foundational story structures that are happening. Um, there's kind of a who who did it thing with the shaman thing there's like a uh samarin has a mysterious past thing going on uh and, and there's like um anna's whole story and how that plays out and she does kind of if she, if you had to look at the the book and ask who was the main character she's probably the closest that we get even though um i think it's kind of kind of metered out through multiple characters, but like, so there are other types of things going on throughout the book. But for me, it ended up being more and more about how this group of like five characters managed to come together, like what circumstances brought them together. And then what was going to happen 
like what was the outcome going to be with all the the stuff that was that was that was going on with kind of like you said Anna in the middle of it yeah that's what i think we have for plot yeah <laughs> yeah so a little bit of military and political uh intrigue i guess some mysterious pasts you've got a group of uh, of castrates um that that basically are the entirety of this town um with the exception of anna and um and uh you know the the the, the visitors the the czech people um and all of that is really kind of i almost slice of life like almost a week in the life of somebody who lives in siberia yeah and it's interesting because you get all of these little weird like i don't know if this happened with you livius um but for me i i can't tell you how many times i was reading that and i was just like oh wow that's i i can't imagine that being in my life like uh so the the czech folks uh led by matula are kind of an occupying force of this town. Um, and like Livia said, they don't want to be there. They don't want to be at war. They've been out, you know, for however long. Um, but they're there, and so they kind of run the show. And so there's this kind of weird... Uh, he might be a political figure that lives in town. And, like, there's this one scene where, like, um, people need to meet, and they meet up at this guy's house, and, like... Matula's just upstairs fucking his wife and like like it, it just it illustrated how um like this occupying military force really just your own life is not yours while these people are around um but like the yeah so it just got there was strange stuff like that there's those types of like that that occupation feeling the general um interaction of of military people in, in general so there's a lot of themes going on that were were interesting to read but uh, like in my experience i was like whoa that's that's really messed up um i'm a little familiar with some of that just from my own family history um with that type of thing so not necessarily you know the scene that you right. described but <laughs> what i found interesting in in contrast so the checks that from the best of my understanding are supporting the existing regime in Russia, which I believe are the whites, right? So the reds are what winds up being communist Russia which, that, that we all are familiar with, right? Am, am, am I, am I, on, on I think here? so, but, and it's okay. Tsar Nicholas, right? Was the leader. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But oddly enough, the Czechs who are on the side of the whites are treating that town essentially the same way that later in a little snippet that's somewhat unimportant to the story that, that the other side does, right? The other side just confiscates everybody's house. That's like a nice house. Yep. Yeah. So it's like, you've got these two sides fighting. And to me, it felt very much like they're the same people, like the same type of person fighting one another. Like I, there wasn't a clear cut difference from what I was reading between the old regime and the new regime. And I found well, that to be kind of interesting. That's it's funny you mentioned that because there's even a part where someone is addressing the troops and he's like, "We fought for these people against these people, and then we fought for those people against these people, and then we fought for these people against these people, and then for those people against those people." So it's like, as much as like what you're saying is these are different groups that seem the same. In those groups, they've been on both sides, so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just really, and that's why like. In the beginning, the history, or the like, the history part was so confusing because, like, even the fucking troops that are in the book are confused by what's going on. Yeah, and and some of that, the the like anecdotal stuff was interesting. You know, like I said, for me, I just wish I would have had a better grasp on the whole picture to to know. You know, and you're right. I'm sure a 15 minute sojourn over to Wikipedia would have would have fixed all of that for me. I just wish the author would have done it himself. Um, the only other thing that I would like to mention because, uh, it came up a little bit is that, uh, Samarin's prison camp thing. Um, it, it's talked about a lot throughout the book. Um, and, uh, just like a trek, it's a thousand mile trek. Like this person, when he escaped the prison camp, walked for a thousand miles. Like it's a pretender song, right? Okay. Um, to, you know, to get to where he ended up. And so there's a lot of that in the book, and that's really fascinating. Um, 
you know, because it explores the idea of like remote prison camps and how terribly prisoners are treated, but also like um, some of the more, uh, more, I guess, like people of nature, the less, um, the less civilized type of people come up. Um, the whole, the whole surviving a journey across Siberia on foot was, was just massively fascinating to me. Yeah, I agree. Cause you know, you and I talk about like, you know, walking down the street for something and the thought is horrifying, right? Like we just <laughs> jump in our car and yeah. drive around the block to something. Yeah. But that's, uh, I mean, one of the things that, that, I think the author's trying to convey and some of the things that came over in this book was again, you know, slice of life, right? Like we get to see what, you know, hopefully accurately what 1919 little Siberian town full of castrates was like, but you know, and as, as, as absurd as, you know, cannibalism or a group of people that castrate themselves because they'll be closer to God is um, within that. And, and those again, real things as Rob mentioned, um, you know, somebody having to get from point A to point B in Siberia, you know, maybe not even a thousand miles, but just think about if it was 30 miles to get to the nearest town and what that, you know, what that took into or how they lived or what types of uh, food the, the castrates are keeping like a small dairy farm hidden from the Czech soldiers. Like they have cows somewhere in a building that the Czech soldiers don't know about so they can have milk. Like they can't even be open about having milk to drink. And that's the kind of stuff that was very interesting for me from this book is the, the um, you know, like I said, the backstory of these people and the, the, the trials and turbulations that they had in their everyday life was far more fascinating for me than the overall plot of the story. There you go. Um, I, I can't think of much else I'd like to bring up. Um, one thing, here, here's what I'll say. Going away from the story and the individual parts, um, I, I would say that there are some really incredibly well-written moments. Um, I'd say the book is well-written in general with um, some objections I'll, I'll probably talk about in my wrap-up, but there are some really, really well-worded things that happen. Uh, and I actually made more notes this time than I usually do. Um, and I'm just going to see if there's any um, like random quotes. I don't even have to give context for this. Every rock broken made you stronger or weaker but either way it made you older like that kind of stuff was just everywhere in this book. And so um, one of the things that I think I'm going to walk away with is um, like, there were these really, really well-written moments. I don't know if you have anything to add. I have a quote along the same lines. I only did one, but as an example of the writing, and this is from very early on, she loved like suicides, love the ground they fall toward. Right. Ugh. It's good shit. It's good shit. That's yeah. it's all you could say about that. Like the the guy has a way with um with words for sure. All right, this might not make full sense without the context of having read the book, but I do want to say that the title of the book is paid off in in the story, and it uh, it does kind of come up as an actual phrase. The quote that I they highlighted: uh, "What looks like an act of evil to a single person is the people's act of love to its future self." So there you go. The title is actually used um, in the story. There was... I am going to go with. Go Sorry, on. go ahead. Go on. I'm going to go with one more. This one's a little longer, but I guess I didn't scroll down in my highlights far enough. Um, we live our lives like writing. The pen moves over the paper in regular lines. The past is written and can be read. The future is blank and the pen must stay in the word that is being written. The Mohican lives like a drawing. He draws one stroke after the other but the strokes can be anywhere on the paper when you watch the strokes look disjointed and meaningless but in his mind he sees the whole picture complete yeah that was excellent i remember that uh i got i got two other ones i want to share um and and this first one is is kind of a reflection of um how much we have to kind of abandon our moral compass in times of like danger maybe uh, or war. Moses, the last thing you needed in the wilderness was Ten Commandments. That was for later. I thought that was really good. Um, and then later on, uh, this is kind of toward the end of the book, uh, just reflecting on um, 
the state of of things in the in the Civil War and and the impact it's having on the people, like the common person. Was it the hunger that caused the revolution, or the revolution that caused the hunger? I could never work it out. Mm-hmm. It was real good. Yep, 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 yep. Um, one last note. Um, I think be one last note before we head into wrap ups. Um, there's an interesting thing with character development um, in this book. So you know, I said we had you know four or five kind of main characters, and not just in how the characters developed throughout the story because I think that it was somewhat rewarding but there was a surprising part that happened I'm not going to elaborate on this or a surprising thing that happened that one character did not grow at all through the course of the book and I was very surprised by that and I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about Rob I don't want to spoil it for for the rest of us but there's one character that stayed oddly the same that I expected to have the you know hero's journey like development that didn't and I found that that was an interesting and and I almost found it like a like a little bit of a twist towards the end of the book. Yep. Yeah, and and the only thing I'll say beyond that uh I agree with what Livius is is referring to but not saying out loud. Um the only thing I'll say beyond that is that um the way that so not we don't know everything about some of the characters right away. And so there are some like twists and reveals and stuff along the road, but I feel like they just they didn't happen in like really punchy elaborate storytelling ways um like it it was not handled like this was like um like it wasn't a fourth of july exhibit of like explosions going off at specific times to elicit an effect it's just like eventually you figured out you know something about the character you didn't know so um i thought that was an interesting like there wasn't like planned impact it didn't feel like for for reveals about information about characters. It was just kind of bluntly thrown out there from time to time when it was time to in the story. Um, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but um, oh, absolutely, yeah. It just it was it's handled differently than I than I was used to, but uh, <laughs> um, it worked. I, I wasn't upset about it. Yeah, I mean it. it it's look, it's an interesting book, and and I'll, this is my final thing to say before we go to wrap ups. I almost feel like this is an interesting book for a writer to read because there are different things that go on in this story that are uh, unusual is probably a strong word, but they're, they're a little rarer to see. And it seems like there's a number of them in this book, not just one or two, you know, like narrative structure type things. There's a few different things that happen in this book that make it interesting not necessarily good in every case, but but interesting the choices that the writer made. Yeah, um, that I, I don't I can't think of a better way to go into wrap ups. You want to go or should I go first? Um, I can go. Right. Um, so I like the characters in this book, and, and I really like the characters that got really fleshed out. They got backstories. I already mentioned that. Um, I think the writing was was pretty solid. Um, the two things I'm I'm or the two things I'm digging it for in plot are. Um, the first one I mentioned earlier, I felt like this type of story needed a little more structure um, and understanding of the time. Um, and certainly they they had he had every ability to do that. I mean, we have Czech soldiers that have been there the whole time. And, and you know, someone could have just set Samarin down to explain, like, listen, we came here because of this and this happened. And now we want to go home because of this. But there are like little hints dropped everywhere. Like we should already know the history. Does it impact the overall story? No, but I found myself searching for that information to understand whose side is this? What's going on here? What's this person's motivation? And without that framing, it, it led me to look harder into the story to find it, only to find that, that you know, although some things kind of started to make sense later on, it, it just wasn't clear enough as a backdrop for a story. The other thing I have, and be very careful on how I word this, there is a pretty significant character in this book who, if you take this character completely out of the story, doesn't change the plot of the story at all. And that um, bothered me because we spend a significant amount of time with this character. So I also thought that maybe should have been um, attached to the main narrative of this town um, a little better than it was. So for plot, I I only gave it a five, um, which is my lowest score on that. Everything else was sevens and eights. There were a lot of individual things to like about this. Um, My personal score was a seven. Um, and it's because of individual things, not like an overall picture, which is a little weird. There's lots of small things I liked 
Um, overall, if I was just scoring it on overall, it would probably be less than this, but my uh, aggregated final score is 7.25. Okay. Uh, I, I think we managed to talk about some of the things um, I found challenging about the book. I'm going to start off by saying that the highest scores I gave were to the characters and the conclusion. I think those were the real strong points that came up when we were talking about the fact that um, the character backstory chapters were probably the most enjoyable parts of the story. Um, and I really felt like this was a story that hung on whether the conclusion was satisfying or not. And especially later in the book, I was like, wow, I wonder how any of this is going to pay off or what that's going to look like. And um, worrying that it wasn't going to work out well. And I liked it. I liked the conclusion. I think uh, while it didn't necessarily pay off things, it gave a satisfying um, end to to different uh, parts of the plot. What I didn't score so well was narrative and pace. Um, like I said before, the character backstory first person stuff was really smooth and enjoyable and, and paced out really well. Um, when it was the third person perspective, it was just so much more difficult to get through. Um, and the fact that those two kind of contrasting things existed in the same book made the pace really weird, but all, so I'm dinging the pace because the narrative hurt it, if that makes any sense. Um, cause it, it like, it's funny cause when we were talking about it with, uh, Jesse who chose it, he's like, yeah, it reads, it reads quick. No, I disagree. <laughs> I don't think it reads quick at all. But it's because it's very dense and there's a lot of information going on. And because I'm not familiar with the history of the Russian Civil War, I don't know a lot about what they're talking about. So it definitely, the pace uh, was was hurt for those reasons. Overall, a lot of fascinating stuff is talked about. Um, I think that doing period work, because obviously he wrote this nearly 100 years after you know the, the book took place, um, I, I felt like um he really brought us there and um told us a bunch of really interesting stuff in a story that really boils down to um like anna and what what goes on in anna's life so uh much like livius i was actually surprised i think i was surprised that livius scored it higher than me and he was surprised that i scored it lower um most of my scores were six seven eight a couple of nines Overall, I averaged out to 7 out of 10, making the podcast's rating 7.125 out of 10. I asked myself a question on if I would be willing to read another James Meek book, and um, I came to the conclusion that only if it was on a subject I was interested in. <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if, let's say, I don't know, you know, whatever, if we're going to look at something historical, Oracle, right? Like if uh, if he wrote a book about, you know, the uprising against, you know, communism in Romania. Oh, you know what? That's a subject I'm kind of interested in. Like I would be willing to give him a shot because the writing is so solid, but I don't I wouldn't blind go into a, another one of his books. So what, one thing that I thought about, because when I was looking around um, on the Internet for information that we kind of like pull together for uh for the discussion you know like you, you always see the blurbs that it says oh you know this reminds me of this author and this reminds me of that book or whatever and it's a lot of like you know your kafka you know like your um i guess irvine welsh well because he's a scottish author of course but um anyway so practically everything that was like oh this is you know in the realm of i had no experience with or knowledge of so on top of um, not being knowledgeable about the time frame and the area that the book took place in, I really wasn't knowledgeable about most of the stuff that it was favorably compared to. So uh, it, for, like that made me realize that like maybe this isn't like the entree for, you know, the entry point for, for this type of work. Maybe like if I had more familiarity with those other things that it's compared to or likened to it would it would strike differently as well um oh kafka did he write that uh yeah hold on a second metamorphosis yes thank you i was gonna say before i say something stupid i did read that i read that he actually yeah. there's one called the hunger artist too that was really good i yeah. think it's a short so story that was the only 
the only um, of the authors that he was kind of likened to that, that I'm um, familiar with, other than, you know, the... I'm reading from Wikipedia, the emerging experimental realist school of Scottish writers, Irvine Walsh and Alan Warner. So I guess uh, it would have made sense. We could have predicted this was coming based on Jonathan's <laughs> two the, other picks. The third if one down done, the list. <laughs> yeah. We would have been, who's like the, these two guys? So we could have predicted what the next uh, what the next author was going to be. So at <laughs> any rate, I mean, I think he does historical fiction like well in the in the small you sure. know, in, in, in one person's everyday life, I think he does a really good job. And, and unfortunately, the overall tale didn't didn't pan out the same way. Still, 7 out of 10. Not bad. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. stuff that's good about this book. For sure. For yeah. sure. All right. We're done with uh, we're done with Meek. We are done with Meek. And we don't really have much to talk about. But there is something that, that, bears, that bears bringing up. I'll let Livius start off this discussion. Yes. So I, I'm not going to attribute it to this last book we had to read by Jesse, but, uh, we're, we're closing down Patreon. <laughs> so, you know, um, there will be no more Patreon picks is what I'm trying to say. Um, in all seriousness, um, thank you for all of the support you guys have given us. We looked at our bank account for Patreon and it seems that we have plenty of money to, to, to meet the needs that we have to host this podcast for some time. So we have made a choice to give you guys a little back by allow not allowing you to give us money which I thought I know you guys never thought you'd hear me say on this podcast. But uh, <laughs> as of, uh, I believe, later tonight, February 9th, um, the, our Patreon will be closed. So thank you for those of you who have contributed to Patreon. Um, thank you to those of you who thought about it but didn't quite get around to it. You've missed your opportunity. Um, but you guys have been great, and you have made this um, um, you know, financially much easier on us to do, um, to be able to do something we love. So thank you. Um, Find another, uh, find another podcast creator and give them uh, the money you were giving us. That would be the best thing you could do with that. Oh, that's a really good idea. Like this is horror. If you're not already supporting them, I think would be a well, good... not well, well, not them, but yeah, something oh. like that for sure. Not okay. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. It could well. be a this is horror. <laughs> give it to yeah. another podcast. We we literally had a moment where where because like the Patreon money goes in and we automatically have everything kind of taken out for like the the day to day business and. I, not, we won't really think about it. And Livius looked and he's like, Oh yeah, we're, we're good for quite a long time. So, um, that was the fuel for the decision is like, um, we have pretty low engagement on our, on our Patreon. And, um, and what it came down to was like, if, like, if we had this like big enterprise and lots of like people interacting and, and, and it was a really active and vibrant community, that would be, that would be a cause for pause. But, but really, um, you guys are getting the episodes like a day day later now. The one thing that I thought about was that we have been hosting um, Patreon exclusive stuff like um, our uh, spoiler talk and stuff like that, and we don't want that to just vanish. So um, I will be implementing um, a a process where I'll be uploading those to YouTube so that they're available for everybody to listen to. Um, so that content will not just go away; um, it'll just be available to more people. So. We are being thoughtful about the things that we're doing with what was originally just on Patreon. Um, but yeah, we don't want to be dipping into your pocketbooks anymore. We don't, we don't need to at the moment. That is correct. So um, one other note, we're not sure what the next review is. This one went up a little late. Uh, I'll let Rob explain why it went up a little late. Yeah, I, I feel guilty. So um, I mentioned it on the last episode, but uh, I got a hold of My Heart as a Chainsaw, the uh, Stephen Graham Jones book that comes out in August, and I couldn't hold back. I started the book, and then once I started it, um, I, I, I needed to finish it. So um, that pushed back my uh, reading uh, availability by a couple of days. So my apologies to everybody, um, but I, I had to get through that book. And I'm just going to say right now, um, months and months ahead of time, um, you don't want to miss that one. Sometimes I wonder um, how we sound to people who don't read. And and here's what someone who doesn't read that just for some reason tuned into this. They just heard him say, I couldn't read this book because I was reading another book. Yeah. And that's got to sound really confusing <laughs> to somebody who doesn't read a lot or at all. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't watch that TV show. I'm watching this TV show. But no, I get it. I get it. And I'm the same way. It's one of the reasons why I don't um, a, a lot of a lot of times I don't 
um, start a book, even when I'm done, like a, a book I want to read on my own, because I don't want to stop when it's time to read a book yeah. for the podcast. So even if I get done, say three or four days ahead of time, that might be enough time if I really push it to finish a book. But then, yeah, I, I don't want to be in that same position. And that's why I read less books now than I did before, because before the podcast, <laughs> I was always reading something. There might be like, oh, I finished it at lunch, but tonight before I go to bed, I'm going to open up another book. So, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a little different when you have a time frame to operate on. You know, and I, di- I just realized this. I did this to myself last year because I got the dates mixed up because the only good Indians got pushed back a month or two. Yep. But I started reading it because I thought it was our next book. And I got like 25% in and I had to put it down for several months um, because the, the, the release date got pushed back. So I didn't want to like it hurts so much to get that much through the book, especially now that you've read it, Livius, you understand, like I got through like, um, that first, Oh, anyway. So yeah, I wasn't going to do that to myself again, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I do want to point out that it's only February 9th and Rob has already read two books that we have not reviewed yet, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> Cause there was also Maxwell's demon, which we both jumped on, like, yep. you know, the day we got it essentially. Um, and now you've added a second book to that list. So you are uh, you are a full book ahead of me in the in the race uh, to how many books we're going to read in 2021. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Bizarre. Anyway, um, that all that's to say that that's like a weird backdoor flex. I read that book that comes out in the end of August mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. Um, which, you know, I love to do. But um, my uh, yeah. my favorite story relating to that was I was sitting in a McDonald's and I was reading it right before, you know, before its release date. But it was Inception, Josh Mallerman's book. And a guy walked up and said, is that Josh Mallerman's new book? And I said, yes. And he says, how did you get that? And I'm like, yep. Josh Mallerman sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like I don't know how else to like. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's even cooler when you're in public and a complete stranger approaches you and says, hey, um, what you got there? Yeah, so. it feels good. Yeah, it does. So, all right. <laughs> um, so uh, come back in about ten days. Regular posting time, probably a week from Monday. If you're listening to this in a timely fashion, is when you'll get our next book, and uh, we'll uh, you won't know what that is because we don't know what it is, but we're gonna figure it out over the course of the next two or three days, and then we'll read it. But until then, I'm Rob Olson, and I'm Livius Nedden. Keep reading. <laughs>